Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. I drive center field. Hit the wall. Grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Fantasy Baseball Today coming at you for a second straight day as we ramp up for the start of the 2021 season. Hopefully, it'll start on time. Can't say that for sure just yet, but hopefully. Fingers crossed. I'm join- I'm Scott White, first of all, if you don't know me already. And I'm joined today by somebody you should also know pretty well, Chris Towers, back in the, uh, back in the fantasy baseball mix here. How's it going, Chris? I guess if you listened in the last week, but not in the several months beforehand, then you don't know who I am. I'm Chris Towers, fantasy analyst for CBSSports.com. And yeah, I'm back in the baseball mindset, you know? It's, yeah. It's good. That football stuff is over and done. I, well, I still have to write a football newsletter tonight, oh. but you know, still, still doing both. Got my hands in both cookie jars. It's, uh, it's never really over, is it? No, uh, but... You know, I'm working on rankings for the 2021 season. Those are going to be on CBSSports.com eventually. Uh, so I'm excited. You know, finally, finally, not, don't get to be the guy who just tells everyone else their rankings are wrong, which is a lot more fun of a position to be in. Let me tell you. You hate doing rank. You hate doing rankings. I think more than anybody hates doing rankings. I hate the process of like the the minutia of it. The like, oh, is is this guy the number 12 starting pitcher or is he number four? And it's just like, my brain doesn't work all that well with it. You know, my, I, yeah. I don't, I don't do like the minor differences, you know, I, I, because you know, it's a range of outcomes. Yeah, it, it can be kind of a paralysis by analysis yeah. exercise, which, you know, kind of, kind of impacted the way I did my dynasty rankings. We're going to get into those a little today because we're actually, we're talking about dynasty leagues. Yesterday, I had another Chris, Chris Welsh, or just the Welsh. I had him on. We talked a lot about prospects. Really, we covered a lot of ground with that podcast. If you didn't listen to it, we went a little long, but we covered a lot of ground. I actually wanted to talk to him about the Mandalorian. We didn't even get around to it. Oh, I, Might bring that up here with okay. Chris Towers, who's much more of a Star Wars nerd than either the Welsh or, or me. Um, I got this oh, for, for Christmas. I love there it. There you go. I assume that's Baby Yoda slash Grogu. That is that is Grogu slash the child. Yeah, the child. Canonically has never been referred to as Baby Yoda. <laughs> slash the kid. Yeah, see what I mean? Star Wars nerd. He's he's dropping can, canonically. Did I say that right? I Canonical. I got I got my girl Ahsoka. Okay. These are uh these are what are those pop funk? Figures Funko for Pop the boys, yes. punk 
Funk Pop. You got to go Pop Twist. <laughs> yeah, for the people who aren't watching on YouTube, you should be. What's that? What's that URL, Chris? Uh, YouTube.com slash fantasy baseball today, I believe. Okay. All right. All right. But enough of that. Maybe we won't even get to the names, Lauren. I don't know. We got a lot of dynasty talk here to do. I'm uh, going to start here with the email of the day. It's from Anthony Weagle. And it says, I am doing my first 15 team league, and it's a partial dynasty startup. Can you provide just a quick strategy overview of how to draft? Well, that's a very broad question. Anthony Weagle has some smaller questions within this email that we'll get to them. We'll get to them a little later, um, interspersed throughout the show. But yeah, Dynasty Leagues, that's the subject for today. And we're going to kind of frame this discussion around my top 150 Dynasty rankings, which were released uh, just before I took a vacation, a little Christmas break. Uh, top 150. And I kind of do my dynasty rankings differently to kind of prevent that paralysis by analysis phenomenon. Um, I don't just rank players one through 150. I have a scoring system where I look at, I give them a present value grade, a future value grade, and a confidence grade, which is kind of how, how likely I think they are to meet their present and future value. Uh, and I add up those three scores and you know, obviously there are a lot of ties to break once I add up their three scores, but that, that, at least, that at least gets me started. It at least kind of creates this tiering system. And I, I think it works well. I think if nothing else, it gives people more to, uh, to get mad about, which is always good when Love you're posting guy. content. Yeah. Yeah. So it goes a little beyond just ranking them. Uh, but yeah, we're going to go through that a little here. So one, one important thing to remember is that like, there's no way, like, this is a one size fits all list, right? I have one set of dynasty rankings. Dynasty leagues, of course, are not one size fits all. <laughs> they vary greatly depending on your rules. The value of prospects varies greatly depending on your rules, um, how many keepers, how deep the league is, whether or not minor leaguers are kept at a different value than major leaguers. This all makes a major difference. So that's important to keep in mind. Um, but you, you kind of just have to adjust them knowing your own league settings. The way these came out with that uh, rating system I have, a 31-year-old like Freddie Freeman, who, you know, still has a pretty good amount of his career left, you, we think, you know, not a, not a very first base, not a demanding position defensively, 31 years old. He checks in at 19th, so he drops, you know, maybe about 10 spots from a redraft league, maybe a little less than that. And you got like a 34-year-old, like you Darvish, not much of a future at all. He comes in 49th. Then you got a 37-year-old like Zach Granke, still not much of a future, but even less confidence in the immediate and the present because of uh, some regression trends we've seen from him. He checks in at 129. So bigger drops from the really old guys like that. Four players got fives across the board for a total of 15 points. One of them is a pitcher. Shane Bieber, he's only 26 years old and obviously was a monster last year. He's one of four players. I'm not going to put him number one just on principle. A pitcher number one in a dynasty league doesn't make sense. So that really comes down to three players. You can make a case to go number one in these dynasty rankings. The order I went with is Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis. Chris, talk because I'm done talking. Pretty hard to argue with it. I, I think there's... There's an interesting philosophical question to ask when you look at like someone like Shane Bieber, I think is, is the, the key example. He's 26 years old. 26, if he was a position player, 26 is, you still got, you would think five levels, five years of at least 
you know, you should expect really good production from him. Pitching, it's kind of a little different. You know, you have some guys who tend to hit a wall in their late 20s, some guys who, like Jacob deGrom, just keep getting better uh, into their mid-30s. Uh, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer would also fall into that, you know, to a certain point. I think we finally saw that point within the last couple of years for both of those guys. But, you know, when I'm looking at Shane Bieber, and you initially said, well, he got fives across the board. And I'm thinking, well, you know, 26 for a pitcher isn't really the same thing as 26 for a position player. You know, you wouldn't expect the high level perform. But then I thought like the way I look at uh, dynasty leagues and the way I approach them and, and you're, I think a little different than me, but for me, it's like the first three years are really like 95% of what I care about because so much can happen three years from now, three years ago, we had never heard the name Shane Bieber. Maybe you had because you get really deep into the prospects before the, the fantasy baseball world as a whole going into the 2018 season. Shane Bieber wasn't really someone people were talking about, someone that people were really interested in. Uh, you know, he was a fringe low 90s throwing prospect who had great control and didn't have like super elite minor league numbers. A lot can change in three years is what I'm saying. And so... When you look at Shane Bieber, 26, 27, 28 uh, age seasons, yeah, he's probably going to be pretty good. I mean, you know, there's only so much that you can project for a pitcher, but mm. in as much as you can, it, you know, I think those the next three years. And, then, and so, you know, I, I think when you start looking at like, well, Mookie Betts, you know, he's a little bit older, but he's 28, Mike Trout, 29. Like you, maybe you'll see those guys regress, but. I think the the line between those two, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and Acuna, Soto, and Tatis is pretty slim. And obviously, you know, there's it's five and six versus one, two, three. So it's a pretty slim margin either. Right, right. I mean, the thing about Acuna, Soto, Tatis, the oldest of them is Acuna, who's 23. And this is, uh, these ages are at, going by july 1st next year he will I, I don't know if he's already turned 23 i don't know exactly where his birthday falls but you know i'm giving some wiggle room with a they're very young is the point they're very young they're already studly i could see going acuna one tatis two in strictly a five by five context i would probably put soto one if it was strictly a points league context as it is i go acuna soto tatis because tatis is a little less proven than the other two but I think that's the obvious top three. You bring up a good point there with Bieber and pitchers in general uh, in a dynasty league. So I'm going to jump ahead to a Twitter question we have here from uh, CJ Baseball. That's what he goes by. When looking at a dynasty league, do you focus more on prospect pitchers, hitters, or is it just available? Now, he's just best available. He's talking about prospects specifically here. But the pitcher versus hitter thing uh, for a dynasty league, I, I think I think it's a good conversation point, particularly with what's going on in fantasy baseball right now. I mean, I've I feel like I've kind of been leading the push for drafting high end pitchers earlier, but those are proven high end guys already. Uh, I, I think it's really hard to win without them. I think they're the most impactful players by nature of being a prospect. There is no proven high-end pitcher prospect. So I, in dynasty leagues, I like to, like, 
I, I think the only way you can feel confident you're going to corner a high-end starting pitcher among prospects is if you just have a ton of pitching prospects. And even then, you're still going to get a lot of misses. So I would rather build my prospect base with position players and then trade for the already proven pitchers and assemble a good pitching staff that way. That's, that's how I've been going about it in most of my dynasty leagues. It's the, 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 oh, I can't remember. Theo Epstein Cubs model was, was you build the pitching staff. Once you have everything else, you know, you go get John Lester, you go get you Darvish. Uh, and you know, I'm looking back at 2018 baseball prospectus, top prospects. This isn't for fantasy. This is just regular. But when you look at, let's say the top seven or so hitting prospects, Ronald Acuna, Victor Robles, Gleyber Torres, Vlad Guerrero, Francisco Mejia, Elo Jimenez, Nick Senzel. That's the top seven. Well, you got Mejia's just a miss so far, and I think Senzel counts as a miss as well. Vlad, somewhat close to that, but you know he's still been worth it. Yeah, still very young. The rest of those guys have pretty much been must-start guys. So four out of seven. You look at the top starting pitching prospects from this list. Alex Reyes, Forrest Whitley, Brent Honeywell, Sixto Sanchez, Mitch Keller, Michael Kopech, and Walker Bueller. So Bueller's awesome. And Sixto Sanchez had like six really, really good starts. That's it. <laughs> and so I think that kind of highlights that there's, there's the volatility of pitching just in general. And then there's the volatility of pitching prospects because you're dealing with injury rates for younger pitchers, which are all yeah. to be higher. You're dealing with guys who haven't shown that they can handle the 150 inning, 180 inning uh, threshold, which ironically Walker Bueller among this group probably had proven that the least <laughs> at 2018. Cause I, I think he had just been drafted in 2017 and was coming off Tommy John surgery. Right. I, I think he did start out his professional career. Yeah, recovering from Tommy John surgery. So that's, and then you of course have the old acronym yeah. Tin Stap. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect, which was coined by somebody at Baseball Prospectus, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, so that kind of plays into that, but yeah, I mean, I, I, one of my dynasty type leagues, I had um, over a span of a few years, I had accumulated like uh, Mackenzie Gore, okay, Forrest Whitley, uh, Brent Honeywell. Brendan McKay, Tristan McKenzie. Like I had this, this slew of like great pitching prospects and I'm, I'm pretty sure none of them are going to end up coming through for that team. I, I've, I, I moved on from Honeywell, Whitley and McKay just because they all seem very risky at this point. McKay coming off a uh, torn labrum in a shoulder. And then we of course know what's going on with Whitley and Honeywell's just had injury upon injury. I gave up on Tristan McKenzie back when he was having arm troubles. Like it ended up being kind of premature, but that kind of, that ends up happening too. You make a wrong assessment about a guy who hits a, a, a kind of a speed bump along the way. I even ended up moving on from McKenzie Gore just because it's like <laughs> the way things played out for those others. I don't want him to bottom out too. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think to a, to a certain extent, it's true for all prospects, but especially for pitching prospects, their time is never their pro their value might never be higher than right before they got called up or the day they get called up. Um, and so you know, it's I, I think it's a question of philosophy, but when you're talking specifically about dynasty, I, I do agree with you. You probably want to build around hitting at least a little more. You want you want. Yeah your big swings to be a hitter because they're more likely to 
give you not just the, you know, the immediate impact, although I think that, you know, you could, you could maybe make a case that pitching prospects are more likely to hit the ground running in the majors and make an impact. Um, maybe that's become, I think, less true in recent history, but, but yeah, yeah. The they're, they're- three years, the next five years, hitters are a much safer bet. And, you know, I, I would also point out uh, prospect catchers are yeah like the pitchers of hitters. Right. They, their value gets suppressed in, in dynasty leagues, you know, relative to mainstream prospect rankings that happens all the time. It does. Um, you know, so just kind of talking prospects in general, where they wound up in my top one hundred and fifty for dynasty leagues here, the highest ranked of all prospects is no surprise. Wander Franco. He checks in at 26th for me, which would be like a third rounder in a 12 team league. He's almost certainly going earlier than that. I, I don't think I've ever done a dynasty startup mock where he went later than round two i think he was um, five and one that we did last year yeah p- quite possibly but i don't think that means i have him wrong him no. at 26 what do you think no i mean if he played for a different organization i think there, there, you know his chances of making his major league debut early would be higher um but the the rays tend to be real frustratingly slow with their top prospects. A lot of them see full seasons in the high minors. A lot of them, uh, you know, they're going to try to like buy out some, some arbitration seasons or like they're, it's all about cost effectiveness and, and, and cost certainty and making sure that by that player is truly ready by the time he gets called up. And so in another organization, I would think we probably would have seen Wander Franco last season, even though he was only 19, um, with the Rays, presumably we see him this year. I don't think it's a guarantee. Yeah, it's- I want to say it's a guarantee. I, I think it's a strong possibility. It's less about the fact Wander Franco plays for the Rays for me than just my philosophy toward prospects in general and a dynasty league. I'm never going to be the guy who drafts Wander Franco. I'm never going to be the guy who goes the extra round for the the extra big deal because I don't think, I mean, Wander Franco seems pretty safe. I'll grant that, but I I don't think any prospect you can really predict with that much precision, what he's going to be at the major league level. So I want lots of good prospects, but there are lots of good prospects out there. And I don't care so much about getting my favorites necessarily. I want the guy who slides, which um, you know, I, I feel like Alex Kirilov is a guy who slides a lot in these uh, these industry drafts. Alec Bohm last year I felt like slid a lot, and of course now he's seemed like he seems like a pretty big deal. I'll just take I'll just take who, whoever's left over from the many many prospects that are out there, um, and you know there's more than enough to go around. So that I, I'm just happy doing that. That's not that's not where I want to make my big investment. Generally yeah, speaking, I, I mean it's. I think there's an interesting one. You have him, Wander Franco, just behind Bo Bichette and just ahead of Xander Bogarts, two spots ahead of Xander Bogarts. Now, Bo Bichette, he's only played 79 games in the majors. They've been really good games. Um, Xander Bogarts has been, you know, one of the best players in fantasy baseball for a half decade. Probably longer than that because he was early on. He was really good in like different ways than he has been the last few years. Um, I think that's a really interesting one. You know, 26 for Wander Franco or 28 for Xander Bogarts. Xander Bogarts is 28 years old. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you tell me, you ask me who's going to be better over the next three years. I, I think I'd have to go with uh, Xander Bogarts. And I, I would say that for the next two, for sure. Three, it gets kind of iffy, but that's, you know, that's putting a lot on Wander Franco, which is the point. It, that's, he might be the only prospect that I'm willing to put that much on. And that's why he does go as high as he does. But I'd still rather be the guy taking him in round three than the guy taking him in round two, which is probably means I'm going to miss him. Yeah. Second highest prospect I have here in, in these uh, in this dynasty top 150 is Mackenzie Gore, a pitcher at 46. Now I have him just ahead of Tyler Glass now, who is 27 years old. I have him two spots ahead of Corbin Burns, who is 26 year old, 26 years old, older than people might realize considering he just broke out in 2020 so they're not they're not especially young and they're still kind of finding their footing i mean tyler glass now the past two years combined has like 110 innings combined the last two years so we still don't really know how he's going to hold up if he can hold up as a starter um so obviously both of them are more proven than gore but i i don't think I don't think they're truly established yet. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to give the slight edge to Gore there, but I'm going to guess you disagree. I think in those cases, you know, as good as Corbin Burns was last season, and, you know, he was on a perning basis, one of the best pitchers in fantasy. Uh, he still only threw 10 and two thirds innings more last season in his breakout than he did in 2019 when he had an 882 ER. Now, yes, we liked him a lot more than that 882 ERA suggested. He was I mean, of, you were leading the charge there. Yeah, he was one of my favorite sleepers last season. He ended up being really good. The stuff is awesome, but we're still dealing with a really, really small sample size. He's thrown 146 and two-thirds innings in the majors combined, and he's 26 years old. He's been in for three years. Um, and really, not a lot of that has been as a starter. Only 13 starts. And so... I think I would take Corbin Burns over Mackenzie Gore just because, you know, the fact that they passed over Mackenzie Gore, you know, what, three different times last season with other prospects when they needed pitchers just gives me a little bit of pause. It makes me wonder, was there something going on at, at, at camp that we weren't able to see? And, and this kind of brings me to one of the questions I wanted to ask you, um, which ties into this was, you know, how, how are you valuing prospects differently this season than last? Because for the most part, you know, a couple of guys got called up. You know, you look at uh, with Patino, the, the guy who he got traded to. Uh, Tampa Bay. Yeah, Tampa. and the Blake Snell deal. He did pitch in the majors, but it was what, 11 innings, nine innings, something like that? It wasn't much. It was in relief. He looked yeah. horrible. A lot of walks. Doesn't very young. tell us very but, much about him. Yeah. Mackenzie Gore, we, you know, he, maybe you watched a live stream of the San Diego Padres uh, training camp. I don't know, uh, you know if they were offering that. I watched a couple for the Marlins, but you know, for the most part, we didn't get to see these guys, and I'm not sure how much the scout, uh, you know, scout writers got to see of them. I, I presume they have you know sources who can tell them stuff, but it feels like we have less. We we should have less information, and we definitely we have less information about prospects this year than we ever do. Mm-hmm. How does that change how you value them in a different year? Would yeah. Wander Franco be higher? Uh, would he be higher? Uh, no, 
no, I, I mean, there, there isn't there just by virtue of there not being minor league games there, there isn't the opportunity for other prospects to close in on his number one status and really narrow the gap there in a way. Oh, number one overall, number one prospect you're saying that, right? Yeah, yeah, but would he, would he be a, would he be higher in your dynasty rankings in a different season? I don't, I, I don't think it really changes that. I, I have I, I did have concerns going into this prospect ranking process that I've spent a lot of the offseason doing. Uh that, you know, without new data for anyone, are my rankings just gonna be exactly the same as they were last year? And I'm sure they're closer than they normally would be, but it it's been going through the process that's been less of a concern than I thought it would be. You do get nuggets. I baseball America has been especially good about observations from uh the uh um, alternate training site i don't know who was making those alternate those observations but somebody was granted access and was making them and and there are some interesting nuggets there that have influenced my opinion on you know a, a decent number of players and sometimes i just sometimes just the passage of time and the uh, the increase in age for different prospects, you know, now suddenly guys who are 24 and 25 and still in the minors, just by virtue of being that old in the minors start to look less interesting because like, have they progressed enough? So, so there's been a little bit of shuffling around there in my prospect rankings because of that. There's been more than I thought there would be less than the typical year, certainly, but more than I thought there'd be. Yeah. It just, to me, it, it just adds uncertainty. And I think that goes into what, what we're kind of talking about with prospects when you're looking at them and comparing them, you know, not just to one another, when you're doing your prospect rankings, if there's, if everyone is uncertain, if everyone has this added uncertainty, then it doesn't really change anyone that much or it changes you on the margin. But when we've got, you know, we saw Shane Bieber breakout or, you know, we saw Corbin Burns breakout. And so when you're talking about Corbin Burns versus Mackenzie Gore, that is where I think, a guy who did play or at least who we watched play. I feel a little more, I I definitely feel more secure drafting them at the very least, both in, you know, redraft and a dynasty league. I think that's probably the, the, the way I would phrase it. Some other prospects here. So remember I had McKenzie Gore at 46 Uh, next up among prospects, Jared Kelnick, Andrew Vaughn, Spencer Torkelson, they're 50, 51 and 52 respectively. Then comes the catcher, Adley Rushman at 70, Julio Rodriguez, young Mariners outfielder at 78. Uh, that's about as high as I'm able to put any of those guys. So again, it was it's Kelnick at 50, and then what, five prospects total ending with Julio Rodriguez at 78. That's about as high as I'm able to rank them with the tabulation I do because their present value is so low. Um, chances are they'll all actually get drafted earlier than that. But again, yeah. I'm okay with it because I think it, it kind of gets to what I was saying earlier about I'll take, I'll take the value prospects. I'll take the best of what's left. There's plenty out there. I think in general, particularly the, the trendy, the most buzzed about prospects, they get drafted too early in general in dynasty leagues. And I, I'm happy to take the proven 20 something over them, you know, because you still got a future with them. You just have a present as well and proven. They're proven. Yeah. And I, 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 you know, someone like Julio Rodriguez, I think is especially interesting because 
you know, he played 84 games in 2019 between high A and A ball. He was awesome. 929 OPS, 326 average, you know, just an incredibly uh, toolsy player. You know, people really love the the skill set, the physicality. But, you know, we've never seen him play above in, in the high minors. And, and, you know, this brings me to another question, and then we'll move on from the prospects part. But what do you expect from someone like Julio Rodriguez in 2021? Where do you think he'll start? You know, he's played 17 games above, you know, regular Class A ball. Yeah, he got to high Class A at the end of 2019 and, and dominated there for yeah, what it's worth. Um. I suspect I suspect he'll start a double A, but it may be high class A again. The the feeling around Julio Rodriguez is that he's going to move fast. There's kind of that Juan Soto vibe about how quickly he's going to move. Very physically mature. Yeah, and like he's an awesome prospect. I'd be happy to take him at 78. You yeah. know, in a dynasty league, uh, I, I'm just not going to be able to get him. That's just not going to work out. And that being said, that it, it gets to what I was saying earlier about. You know, this can't, this is a one size fits all list for what can't be a one size fits all exercise. It depends on the way your league is actually set up. Anthony Weagle, who uh, again, referring to his email, the way his dynasty league is set up here 15 teams, the keepers are seven MLB players, so just seven, 10 minor leaguers, and they lose minor league status when they graduate from when they lose their rookie eligibility. So to crack your list of seven MLB keepers, you have to feel really confident once they've, once they've exhausted their rookie eligibility, that they're going to be the real deal. And I play in a league like that. Uh, It's actually that same league I was mentioning to you where I traded away all those pitchers that were panning out because I, I was starting to feel not so confident that they were going to crack my small group of major league keepers, even when, when they did get the call Um, in that kind of dynasty type format, there's enough turnover happening with so many MLB players not being kept that like, you don't, you don't really need to have that farm system sustaining your major league roster. You know, like that's not, that's not the dynasty format where you really go heavy, heavily after the prospects. They're just kind of bonuses if they pan out, I feel like. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think one suggestion I would add would, would just be, you know, it also depends on how you want to build your team. Uh, if you want to be the guy who's building for five years, you know, a sustainable five-year plan, then you know, maybe you bump up the younger guys. You know, maybe you just copy and paste this ranking and add one to the future value for everyone. Or Conversely, if you want to be the guy who competes for the next three years and then figure it out or has a really strong team in year one and then starts trading pieces off, maybe you, you know, boost the, the present value for everyone or something like that. Um, so, you know, that, that's the thing about Dynasty is it's, it's not just your league type. It's how you want to build your team that, that plays into it as well. Yeah. Yeah, one other question here from Anthony Weagle. How many... Of the prospects he drafts should be long-term versus short-term, the guys who are going to help more immediately. Uh, I'm probably unusual among fantasy analysts that I, 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 I think I value proximity more than, than most. I want, I want a constant cycle of minor leaguers because they're going to they're gonna sink or swim, right? You want 
to give more a chance to swim than to put all your eggs on a guy you're going to wait three or four years to find out if he's going to develop into something worthwhile, you know? So uh, I'm going to miss out on a lot of exciting international signees doing it that way, but I'm giving myself more chance to hit big just because I'm, I'm, I'm able to, to move on from a guy quicker and not, uh, not waste so many years waiting for him to develop. I gather you're kind of the same way too, though. Yeah. And it, it's less about that and, 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 you know, or at least as much about that as it is about certainty, the guys who, you know, if you, if you look at it, I think there, there's a, there's a theory about, um, about why we've never, dis, we've never encountered intelligent life in the universe. <laughs> Stay with me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we might, we might get into the Mandalorian. <laughs> it's, this, uh, this might be a good tie-in it's uh, uh what's it called it's like the great uh filter i think is what it's called okay. and it posits that at various stages through the evolution of an organism or a planet or uh or an uh, organism organ oh, jesus organisms life <laughs> uh, there come certain moments that come with a you know x probability of happening that can cause that the, the evolution to stop. And so it's like the, you know, in the history of the earth, it's like the, the development of, uh, you know, the, the asteroids hitting at different times. And then the, you know, the tech plate tectonics and the, you know, the, the development of oxygen in the atmosphere and all these things throughout. And, and, you know, all to tie that in, you know, the theory is that at some point, you know, an advanced civilization reaches a point where it, you know, peters out for some reason. And that's why we've never seen them. There's just so many filters. And that's kind of the way I view prospects is that every year there's an X probability of every prospect hitting a wall or not developing or getting hurt or something happening. And when you're four years away from the, from the majors or three years away from the majors, there's just more opportunities for things to go wrong. That being said, there are also more opportunities for things to go right. But there are fewer Fernando Tatis in the world than there are you know, Estefan Florials, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the guy who looks like a prospect when he's 18. And then, you know, by the time he's 22, we're like, Oh no, not really. He might be a fourth outfielder. Yeah. And, and a lot of There's times lot the thing that goes that. right comes from the player. You don't really see it coming from like Ronald Acuna was not a big international signing. Yeah. And then as he made his way up through the minors, it's like, wow, the Braves uh, really found somebody here. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm just I, I don't take big swings with prospects, just generally speaking. I like prospects. You know, my dynasty league, my 24 team one that's referenced here a lot, it 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 has a bigger emphasis on prospects. It's one of those dynasty leagues that I think requires more of one uh than the league Anthony Weagle's presenting here because it's not just it's not just okay, prospects are you can have them for a long time and they have a chance to be really, really good, but they're also going to be very cheap to keep for a long time. And that's, that's really where prospects start to have more value. Um, but even in that format, you know, whenever I've gone for the teenager who is supposed to be a really big deal, maybe three or four years from now, it's, it's almost always gone wrong. It went right with Rafael Devers. Devers that was one that uh, panned out. But you know, generally speaking, I've had more success going with the, the safer prospects, and, and a lot of them have turned into studs. I think that makes sense. Um, yeah. 
Here's a question I had. Uh, how are you handling last year's breakouts? How much stock are you putting into the short season breakout for a dynasty player? Now, you have Shane Bieber, number six overall. A lot of that is because he was the number one player in, in Roto scoring and fantasy last season per CBS Fantasy's uh, form, uh, formula. But he was really good in 2019 as well. He was, yeah. Got drafted and he was a second rounder going into 2020. So, yeah. And I, so I'm, I'm more interested in, like, that makes sense. I, you know, I, like maybe he regresses some from being the best pitcher in fantasy, but in all likelihood, he's still going to be very, very good. It's hard for you to, it, he probably won't miss. I think like Trevor Bauer is a really interesting one, and you have him 34th. 34th overall. Five present value. He is 30. Um, Mm -hmm. How much of that is skepticism about what he did in 2020? How much of that is age? How much of that is, you know, what have you? Well, um, both. It's both because I have him 34th here in dynasty rankings. In my dynasty rankings, he is more like, I don't know, 15th, 16th in redraft rank- rankings. So I'm, I'm giving him a pretty big downgrade for the long-term format because both because I'm not totally sold on him being who he was last year and because he's clearly in the middle stages of his career, if not toward the tail end. So um, you, know, you, you mentioned I gave him a five for present value. It's the high score, obviously. Give him a three for future value. I give him a three for confidence. And I don't think anyone I rank ahead of him at 34 has lower than a three for confidence. So among the high-end players, he gets a lower confidence score for me. And um, it's because of skepticism. Like, it's it's easier when you're talking about a redraft scenario to trust in the breakthrough than it is in, in Dynasty, where you're maybe tied to this guy for years to come, no matter what he turns into, or you're denying yourself a chance to be tied to somebody else for several years because you invested in power. So yeah, that, that skepticism does play into the dynasty rankings. And I think it should. Uh, and then I, I think Kyle Tucker is really interesting. Number 31 overall. Um, you know, what, what's funny is he basically has two small sample sizes in the majors, uh, like 25 games in 29, 22 games in 2019, 58 in 2020. He was basically the same player across both of those two samples, which you know, to a certain extent, sort of makes it easier to buy into what he's done. And that's, you know, hit 268 across those uh, 80 games with 13 homers, 13 stolen bases, 162-game sample, 27 steals, 27 homers, only caught stealing three times, uh, manageable strikeout rate, not terrible plate discipline. Um, how confident are you in him both in 2021 and then in the long term? Now, what's interesting about this is I'm, I'm actually, even though he's, so I have him ranked higher than, uh, than Trevor Bauer here. I have him three spots ahead of Bauer. For 2021, I obviously want Bauer. Yes. And I, I might even say I'm more, not just that Bauer has the higher impact potential, reigning Cy Young winner, but I might actually be more confident in him for 2021 specifically, just because there is such a small sample there for, from Tucker. But Tucker is has been a top prospect from the day he was drafted. He put it back-to-back seasons at AAA that were just amazing statistically. He's only 24 years old. Um, I, I, I don't 
based on what he's done now, the, the small samples in 2020 and even 2019, like I feel like he's going to be who he was projected to be. I, I don't know if th- there might be some growing pains along the way, but from a dynasty perspective, you're getting him at a very early stage of his career. Um, you're getting somebody who it looks like is going to be a big steel source, which certainly in five by five leagues, you want to lock those guys in wherever, po- whenever possible. Um, so yeah, that's that's an interesting comparison between those two. Tucker comes out a little ahead for me and Bauer in these dynasty rankings, but of course Bauer's the better bet for twenty twenty one. And I I think it's very interesting that Kyle Tucker is five spots ahead of Luis Robert. Uh, this time a year ago, Luis Robert probably would have been. 20 25 spots ahead at least for most people you know for I, most I, people um you know that in, was, in redraft it was like a hundred pick gap between the two of them well um, we were on the same page yeah. the two of us that like you know we're not so sure tucker's gonna be any worse than louise robert he might be better and he was yeah. and he was good for us um yeah and then uh one other question I'll I'll ask and then or one other topic to broach and then I'll I'll let you get to some more of your notes is just you know some of those old guys you know how do you how do you differentiate between you know I'm trying to think of like a Kenta Maeda who's 33 years old versus you know someone who actually here's a really interesting example Kenta Maeda 33 or Luis Severino 27 you know, Severino obviously coming back from the Tommy John surgery. Um, you have Kenta Maeda two spots higher. Is that to me, that seems like Severino is a big win, big lose kind of guy, whereas Maeda seems like a more certain thing. Is that how you view it as well? Well, um, according to the scores I give them, no, because I actually give them the same confidence rating of two. Okay. On the one to five scale. Now it's it's different reasons for that. Maeda just did something we've never seen him do, do before. Yeah. We, including sample. myself, were kind of hopeful that he could be something like he was this year. But you know, small sample size for a guy and who's the concerns that we had about him would specifically not be answered by a sixty game season. Right. Yeah, I think some of it yeah. was can he be good in a starting role or a, you know, as a real starter? I, I feel very confident he can be, and I felt very confident he could be before that. How will he handle 180 innings? That, I think, is the the, the still remaining question. Yeah, that's part of it, sure. Um, so, uh, a part of it is just Kenta Maeda is, I think, my... Is he 10th, or do I have him 12th among starting pitchers in, in just regular redraft rankings? He's really high. Um, because given that there were some risks for really all the guys in that vicinity, it didn't seem appropriate for me to downgrade him behind like a Jack Flaherty, let's say after what Kinta Maeda just did. Uh, so I give him a five score for present value, him being 33, only a two for future value. And again, two for confidence and Luis Severino, it's the same that it adds up to the same number. He's two for present value because he's going to come back mid season, maybe. Yeah. And then five for future value because we all know he's top 10 potential when healthy. I have a lot of confidence in the Tommy John recovery, but still just a two for confidence because we got to actually see him come back 27 years old. He's still in the prime of his career. I I think um, it's hard to compare those two Maeda and Severino. It's, it's, 
you know, how, how committed are you to winning in 2021 is a big part of that. And if you're not really at all, then of course it makes sense to take Severino instead, but Severino versus the other big pitchers coming back from Tommy John surgery at some point in 2021, which are Chris sale and, um, uh, uh, Noah Syndergaard. Yeah. Uh, so I have Chris, so I have Severino at 79, two spots behind Maeda. I have sale at one thirty. Now he's 32 years old. So that kind of makes sense, but I have Syndergaard at one thirty-one. He's 28, only a year older than Severino. Yeah. That is because I, I feel like they're kind of on different planes now in terms of upside. I mean, Syndergaard's numbers were really falling off, particularly the strikeouts mm-hmm. leading up to uh, his, his lost year. And I have left confidence in who he's going to be when he comes back. That you Severino. I mean, 131, that's still, um, given the upside at a position of uh, great demand, that's still a good value pick. I mean, I love, in Dynasty Restart, uh, Dynasty Startup Leagues, I love taking these guys coming off Tommy John surgery uh, because I just have so much confidence in the recovery and people tend to overlook them. Yeah. But of those three, I clearly have the most confidence in Severino. Uh, yeah, I, I agree in yeah i agree with that just because he was he was more reliable he was better than those two guys um you know in the in the immediate preceding uh seasons i, I think Syndergaard versus gonsolin is really interesting um I, you know I, I don't think we need to get too far into that but um gonsolin's only a year younger yeah so i have gonsolin four spots ahead of Syndergaard. yeah um, sorry i should have said that yeah it is interesting. ERA, 46 and two thirds innings last season. He does have, you know, a 260 ERA and 86 and two thirds, um, mostly as a starter for the Dodgers. So it's it's a combination of I really like Gonsolin. I've kind of soured on Cindergard. And, you know, how committed are you to 2021? Again, because Gonsolin is going to be a contributor in 2021. Cindergard, if maybe. Yeah. I'm not counting on much from him in 2021. So if you're completely punting on 2021, I think it makes sense to take Cindergaard ahead. But if not, um, it's pretty close as I have it. We do need to take a break. And then we're going to get into more of these uh, major leaguers, interesting major leaguers from a dynasty perspective. You're listening to Fantasy Baseball Today. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. 
Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Scott White, Chris Towers here, Fantasy Baseball Today. We're talking to you about Dynasty Leagues. Chris's cat is walking across. If you're watching, this is a good reason to subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Fantasy Baseball Today, because... Just a tail waving in his face. Multiple cats have crossed. As soon as I start talking, as soon as I see the camera light go on, they're just, it's time to move about. Fortunately, we didn't see the back end of that cat because that... Would not have been a view anybody appreciated. Uh, we're gonna look at we're we're looking at my top 150 for dynasty leagues here, and uh, we've talked a little about the guys coming back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, three young guys who were really excited about in dynasty leagues at this time a year ago, and they just didn't live up to the hype. Jordan Alvarez, Keston Hira, Vladimir Guerrero—they're all younger than 25. They still check in at 39, 40, and 41 in my dynasty rankings. So to put that in perspective, uh, 38 is Pete Alonzo, who kind of disappointed himself. Uh, Luis Robert is 36. And then, you know, behind that group is like DJ LeMahieu and Tim Anderson. Do you think that's appropriate for Jordan Alvarez, Keston Hira, Vladimir Guerrero? Could be a little bit high for Hira and Guerrero, uh, just because... What what went wrong for them in 2020 was that they just didn't play well and they kind of have what looked like if they don't improve upon them kind of glaring issues. You know, here it's the, the contact issue. You know, he just swings and misses way too much. And Guerrero, it's just that he just, I mean, frankly, he just doesn't hit the ball that well. Uh, you know, he makes okay contact. You know, he's still right about a uh, league average strikeout rate, but it's just a lot of ground balls and not that much authority. And so I guess it's in a way giving Alvarez a little extra credit on those guys. Cause he didn't get the chance to disappoint us last season. Um, Coming off surgery on both knees, I think. Yeah. And right? he's so there's know, that. three years old and seems yeah. to have kind of degenerative issues in his knees. <laughs> not what you want. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm kind of relieved he had surgery. I feel better about investing in him with a correction applied versus uh, we don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that makes me feel more confident in drafting him. But I, I guess my point here with these three is like, I, I don't think whatever happened to 2020, this, this gets into how much are you weighing 2020 stats in general, particularly for high upside guys that we were this excited about 60 games ago, you know, um, yeah, yeah. You, you don't want to abandon those. And, and nobody's uh, nobody seems to be van- abandoning Guerrero specifically, Hira to a lesser extent. Alvarez is the one who can slip. Alvarez can slip quite away, which is interesting because he's the most proven by far. And he was basically a first-round caliber bat 2019. DH only, but whatever. Kind of along that same lines, uh, Glaber Torres, who had two, well, one, a year and a half that were really good. And he's only 24 years old. 
Um, he tends to slip a lot in redraft leagues. Glaber Torres, he's, he's shortstop only right now, at least on CBS, no longer second base eligible. I still have him at 42 here, just because the future for him at age 24 is so bright. Played 42 games last season. You know, that's, that's one of those things where it's like, if a guy has 42 games where he has a 7-14 OPS, roughly, I think is what he would have had, or what he did have, uh, you don't even blink. If he plays 160 games where you know the other 118 are really good, um, I, I think it's probably fair to to mostly overlook that with Glaber Torres. So Carlos Correa, who kind of in the same boat and bounced back in a big way in the playoffs. I think he had more than half his home runs in 2020 in the playoffs. Uh, he's only he's a couple years older than Torres, but 26, mm-hmm. and I have him at 59. Uh, I was getting some uh, comments about him on Twitter. Some people thought that was kind of high. I mean, Carlos Gray is a guy who has been a first rounder a couple times in his career. Like he's, he's kind of where we were with Corey Seager at this time last year. And you see how that turned out. Definitely somebody I'm still willing to invest in, in dynasty leagues. Javier Baez. I kind of lumped these three shortstops together as guys, everybody believed in, but they were just did not live up to expectations in the short 2020 season. He's already 28, so he's a little lower for me. I have him at 73. Uh, but still, uh, pretty good uh, pretty good time to buy in again in Dynasty Leagues, I feel like. Uh, Joe Adele is 84. That puts him just, behind, just a little behind Julio Rodriguez, the 20-year-old Mariners outfield prospect. Joe Adele doesn't qualify as a prospect anymore. He was terrible. The little bit we saw him in the majors last year, just striking out way too much. And, you know, that, that tells you the extent to which his, his uh, prospect status has slipped, which, which is not really that much. I mean, 84th on this list, just behind Julio Rodriguez, if he did qualify as a project prospect, Adele would probably be in my top 10 still. And uh, worth pointing out, he won't even, he, I mean, we don't know when opening day will be, but he probably won't be 22 by opening mm-hmm. day. He turns 22 on April 8th. He's one of those guys where if he hadn't played in 2020, probably 40 spots higher. And that's not to say he shouldn't be 84 uh, because he did play in the majors and he did strike out 55 times in 38 games. And that counts. Um, But, you know, his value is hurt by the fact that he did play. Whereas some of the other, you know, a a Julio Rodriguez, it's possible that he might've gotten to double a last year and had a 770 OPS in which case he probably falls at least a little bit. And so that's the tough thing about this shortened season is how much to take out of it, how much to move certain guys down. I, I think 84 is reasonable for Joe Dell. I have him just ahead of a trio of high-impact 34-year-olds, Carlos Carrasco, Jose Abreu, Lance Lynn. Obviously not much longevity from players like that, but they should be highly impactful at least for 2021. Randy Arozarena, who does technically qualify as a prospect and a rookie still. Um, I, he checks in at 101 for me, which is about the same as where I have him in redraft. So his prospect status isn't really doing him much good in my dynasty rankings. 0% chance you will draft him in either redraft or dynasty at 101. Redraft, I've, I've seen him go about that late. Is, is, uh, has the NFBC data shown otherwise? I admittedly haven't looked at it that closely. I just, I assumed he would have been 
much higher than that given uh, you know i don't think i've seen a single person on fantasy twitter express much uh 57 yeah yeah overall 58.74 nfbc uh adp sells out really hard for upside uh so i imagine he'll be lower on some of the other fantasy baseball and then services you know on uh you know on that format because there there is a lot of best ball formats there and and randy rosarena is the kind of guy who if he does what he what he did last year to you know if he does 80 percent of what he did last season you know getting Mm -hmm. him at the 57th overall pick is going to be a steal it's he gets pushed down that far in these rankings and i think it's appropriate um relative to other top 100 type players just a very low confidence score relatively speaking and he's already 26 even though he's technically a prospect um you know he's already in the prime of his career not pre-prime yon moncada and austin meadows both also 26 are just below arrows arena and um it's interesting yeah yeah all right we got a couple twitter questions to address here but i want to talk a little about the mandalorian because i didn't get to yesterday actually let's, let's I, do the twitter questions first and close oh, out the show with some mando all right fine we'll talk about din later <laughs> you can't have your you can't have your din before your desserts Jeff Collier asks, what kind of package would it take for you to part with Wander Franco in a dynasty league? We kind of got into this already, how much we value Wander Franco. Now, what's interesting about this, we had Ian Kahn, the actor slash fantasy baseball analyst on uh, at some point in December. And he was he showed me his dynasty rankings and he had prospects, generally speaking, a lot more prospects, a lot higher than I do. Mm-hmm. But his reasoning was because that's what people want and di- like yeah. just for trade, but he's, he, he dra- drafts them that high just to have them to sell off I think for piles of major leaguers. Yeah. I think how do you value Wander Franco and what would you trade him for are two different questions because mm-hmm. how you value him moving forward for your team is what you expect him to produce. And there's a wide range of, of possible outcomes, but when you're trading him, presumably your whole league knows that he's available. And presumably their offers should cover a pretty wide range of, of outcomes. And there's going to be someone in your league who views Wander Franco. This is, it. this is true of every prospect in every league, especially the top ones. There is someone who is 100% convinced Wander Franco is the next Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis, Mike Trout. And so you should get that kind of value for him. Yeah. You should get more than at least more than one. Is it more than two? I don't know, but more than one major leaguer who you could expect to keep for a long time himself and is already good and is established. And that's, that's really the only way that it's going to be worth it. And even that depends on, uh, you know, exactly how the keeper rules work in your league, major leaguers versus minor leaguers league, more like my 2014 dynasty league that values prospects more. It should be more than two major leaguers that you're getting back. It should be more like three or four. Uh, but one like uh, the emailer whose name I'm forgetting, even though I mentioned it several times where uh, you don't get many major league spots to keep and, and they lose players, move their, lose their minor league status fast. Uh, then you might have to settle for only two if you want to do that. And maybe you don't. Yeah, Jeff Watson has oh, a trade. So I was just looking at your rankings and like Xander Bogarts and Zach Gallon. Would uh, you do that? Give up Wander Franco to get those two guys? 
Uh, yeah, in most in most dynasty leagues, I would sure. Do you think someone would offer you that? No. Okay. I don't, but maybe it. It just depends. It depends. Do you think somebody would? I could see it. I could see um, it in the right circumstance. Yeah, like a, a rebuilder who. Um. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah. But Jeff Watson wants to know how would you value prospects when looking to trade two for one or vice versa in dynasty leagues? So. I think that I think the Ian Khan logic applies here where if you're giving up a high end prospect, you should probably be on the two side of that deal. Yeah. And it's different from, you know, I talk in redraft leagues a lot where on in a trade, I, I normally want to be on the side getting the best player. You normally don't want to be on the two side. Um, but it's it's the answer here is predicated on the belief that people overpay for prospects in dynasty leagues, generally speaking. So, you know, it depends on obviously who the two players are, but if they're two really good established, fairly young players, that's probably more valuable than any prospect. One thing I would add to that is um, if you're trading multiple prospects, you are increasing your risk because that is one thing that, you know, the chances of any one prospect turning into a superstar are relatively low, but if you're trading, you know, two top 20 prospects or three top 50 prospects, then that's when you really start have to get a steps really have to get a premium back because the chances of any one of those guys hitting in that way that makes them incredibly, incredibly valuable. It does go up. You know, that's the way I view it. My thoughts on the Mandalorian are complicated. (laughs) I wish I had recorded Chris, Chris Welsh ended up ha- and I ended up having this conversation after we stopped recording. We should have just recorded it and presented it as like a bonus episode. I don't know because it was good stuff. And I have a feeling you and I are not going to be on the same page like he and okay. I so were. I, I binged The Mandalorian uh, during my time off. It's 16 episodes. Most are closer to half an hour than an hour. So very bingeable. I think the longest one is like 47 minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. Very bingeable. And and look, entertaining. Like my my stance on Star Wars in general is that they're all fine. They're all fine. None of them ascend to greatness. None of them are really that bad either. They're all entertaining enough to watch. Uh, episode 9 was pretty boring. Episode 9 is probably actually the low point for the series. But for the most part, all Star Wars is is basically fine. And I don't really get the hype on either end. I mean, look, it's, it's, there, there is not a lot of uh, moral ambiguity going on in any of these stories. There's not, there's not a lot of character development. I feel like, like part of my issue with Star Wars is I never really care that much about anybody. I will just say this. It's unlikely that you will ever, I know you're, you're a father and you're a busy man, but if your son ever wants to watch some cartoons, these Star Wars cartoons are actually really, really good, and I think they're the arguably the best part of the world. Of like, are they better than the Mandalorian? Because I, you, I kind of haven't built to my point yet, which is that. Having said that, I think the Mandalorian is the best Star Wars I've seen so far. Okay, yeah. It still suffers from a lot of what Star Wars suffers from in general, and that it's kind of a lot of action. It, it relies heavily on action sequences and it still doesn't make me care that much about the characters involved in those action sequences. Contrasting that to like the MCU, which did a great job at both, mm-hmm. I feel like. Uh, Star Wars has always come up short there. 
And so my my experience going through The Mandalorian for the first 14 of the 16 episodes was basically I'm not it's it's pretty good. Does it live up to the hype? I don't know. Like I love the guest stars, Bill Burr showing up, you know, Very Timothy Oliphant showing up, Giancarlo Esposito. You know, great, great guest stars. Uh, I love that. And, you know, some some imaginative stuff as Star Wars is always the thing Star Wars has always excelled at. Yeah. But then I got to the last two of the 16 episodes and it, it didn't get me all the way in. Okay. But it definitely was like, whoa, this is this is better than it's ever been before. Maybe you just hate Grogu. <laughs> just like that's kind of the thing like why why should i care about grogu because he does adorable because he does cute things he's like eat, yeah. eat the anthropomorphic frog ladies Look, okay. babies he didn't know any better yeah and but like, that, no hold on that is on din for not feeding him you have a child feed your child din i mean kind of the steal, he had to steal macarons from some small child in the desert just to survive <laughs> kind of the problem with star wars too is that there's an anthropomorphic frog lady like you can't you can't I get really, any more inventive i really with your species it. than but that did you watch it with subtitles <laughs> yeah i did it's, it was like like frog lady frog lady makes frog noises or something was the, the subtitle i loved it it was delightful no yeah. i think all of that makes perfect sense um and I, I was more on the, I like the Star Wars world more than the actual Star Wars. Uh, like, like, I like the universe more than the actual stories. Until I watched Clone Wars and Rebels, I think those do a... The really cartoon job. series. Yeah, the, the, the first, the two, there's a third one that's not, I haven't watched it, but I've heard it's not as good. But Clone Wars and Rebels excellent character building excellent world building a ton of stuff in there with like hey we're gonna it's all like adventure of the week kind of like mandalorian where it's like here we're in a new place this week and here's some new people and you're gonna see like here's how the planet mandalore works and uh it, it really adds a ton of stuff to it and it makes like clone wars makes anakin skywalker in the the prequel trilogy a lot better of a character which mm-hmm. is not an endorsement of the prequel trilogies, because if you have to watch seven seasons of a cartoon for a three movie series to be good, that's probably not a good three movie series. Um, but I think those are excellent. That's it's like really the, the best thing I can say about Mandalorian is it like it made me feel the way I felt watching Star Wars as a kid. Yeah. Like it, it reignited that wonder in me. And then I went and watched Clone Wars and then I went and watched Rebels and those like. I'm all in now. I got, I, I got like the video games. I've been all in. This is my 2020 was my Star Wars year. Yeah. No, um, you've 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 always been a big Star Wars. At least as long as I've known, you've been a big Star Wars nerd, and uh, I've just been kind of the guy like, eh, it's fine. Mandalorian's a little better than fine. I, I will give it that. It's a little better than fine. I think Bill Burr's my favorite part of it. Anyway. <laughs> that's that's all we have time for we went too long again we will be back with you later this week i believe thursday morning we'll be back with you chris and i until then yeah. bye home
Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.